Did a hitchhiking robot prove that humanity is the worst? The internet says it's true. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like it's made up, but it's really true, part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent, and I'm sorry to tell you, but this week's story is about how humans kind of suck. Well, at least American humans. Thanks for hanging in there last week while I took a break from a new episode. I hope you enjoyed the Rewind episode all about astronauts. Also, if you have taken a look at my Instagram, which is at Michael Kent, my personal Instagram, you've seen I've been all over the place these last few weeks on tour. I'm finally home for a week. I have two shows, both in Ohio, both colleges this week. So it's nice to be able to catch up on sleep and on a new episode. Uh, My Instagram also, you may have seen the new podcast t-shirt It's actually pretty great. I got a blue one. I got a sample for myself, and it's soft. It actually looks awesome. Uh, I'm pumped with how they turned out. You can get your hands on those if you want one at theinternetsaysitstrue.com. Just click Merch, and you'll see them. If you want 20% off, uh, I'm offering that to all of the Patreon members on all merch. So if you're on Patreon, the code for 20% off was posted last week. Join that at patreon.com slash michaelkent for as little as $1 a month. Any new merch I offer is going to be available for 20% off to those supporters since I'm so appreciative of them. Now, I've seen this week's story in the news a few times since it happened, and it came across one of my social feeds last week, so I thought it would make an interesting episode. Today, we're going to talk about Hitchbot, the hitchhiking robot. Jack Kerouac wrote in his book On the Road, quote, One of the biggest troubles of hitchhiking is having to talk to innumerable people, make them feel that they didn't make a mistake picking you up. End quote. Today's story is about testing the faith in human kindness of those innumerable people. Halifax, Nova Scotia to Victoria, British Columbia. It's a route that crosses almost all of the country of Canada east to west. It's an almost eight-hour flight, but by car, it would take you 58 hours, a full week of driving. For the subject of our story, the goal was to make it that distance via hitchhiking and see how long it took. Hitchbot was conceived by Dr. David Harris-Smith of McMaster University and Dr. Frauke Zeller from the School of Professional Communication at Ryerson University. It was a collaborative effort that mixed sociology and robotics with a sort of performance art. Doctors Smith and Zeller said usually we are concerned with whether or not we can trust robots, but this project takes it the other way around and asks, can robots trust human beings? The project began back in 2013. Doctors Smith and Zeller led a team of 13 robotics, communications, and software students to develop a robot that would appear friendly enough for passersby to want to pick it up and sustainable enough in order to make it the entire 2,800 miles. So where did this bizarre idea come from? Smith says he was inspired by a few things, one of them being exploring the relationship between humans and objects and how we explore the symbiosis between them and derive the concept of agency. One of the things that he has pointed to is a story about the 17th century French philosopher Descartes. Descartes had a daughter, Francine, born in 1635. At the age of five, she contracted scarlet fever and died. To cope with his grief, Descartes used his knowledge in building realistic automaton robots to construct a lifelike replica of Francine. Francine Descartes went with him everywhere, even sleeping in a box next to his bed at night. He would wind her up and talk to her in the evenings. And on one journey by sea, his ship encountered bad weather. The crew of the ship had heard Descartes talking in his room late at night and assumed that the whole thing was witchcraft and that was what was bringing in the rough seas. Someone broke into his room, found the lifelike automaton, and were horrified. They smashed the doll to pieces and threw pieces of Francine into the sea. Stricken with grief once again, Descartes died soon thereafter. For Smith and Zeller, this was an early example of the interface between humans and robots, the clashing of ideas of agency, free will, and sentience, fashioning life and animating the inanimate. There was also the 2011 project called Orbi. It was a sphere with a stop-motion camera developed by Liz Platt 
that was an art project meant to capture footage of its journey down a river, documenting the animals, views, and people it encountered along the way. Smith and Zeller had created a small art critic robot out of a Roomba floor vacuum, and it would arbitrarily judge the art in a gallery and tweet about its opinion. But for Smith, he had an interesting history of hitchhiking that could combine with this cultural question of how humans interface with robots. Dr. Smith was interested in studying questions about social responsibility and safety within culture. Hitchhiking was at its peak in the 1970s, and that was a time when the crime rate was higher than it is today, despite how most people feel. Smith had hitchhiked across Canada three times in his life. Uh, it was one of the best experiences of my life. I, I met uh, really interesting people. I made uh, friends. So Hitchbot really is kind of meant to stimulate uh, reflection on the change in our culture, on our uh, changing kind of social psychology. Dr. Zeller specifically studied some of the ethical questions that arise when we talk about humans interacting with robots and artificial intelligence. So this project was a natural result of melding their two areas of study. When they started planning their project, some of the first concepts they started studying were ethical ones. Here's Dr. Smith speaking about some of those questions. And these also, then, these questions invite legal questions. Uh, for example, if you, um, in a world where you, we will be actually encountering uh, autonomous machines, uh, robots, um, who owns them? Uh, you know, what rules of, of uh, liability apply in these situations? Um, can, uh, and my question was, I actually phoned a lawyer and said, okay, so we're building a robot, we're sending it out into the world, you know, to hitchhike, can I disown it? <laughs> and he said, no, <laughs> you, you can't. Uh, and if you like exploring those types of questions, go back and watch Star Trek, the original series, and find the ninth episode of the second season. It's called The Measure of a Man and explores exactly this. It's a fantastic episode of television. They built the robot to meet their specifications. To meet the definition of a robot, a machine has to have at least one moving part. So in the case of Hitchbot, this was an articulated arm with a thumb that would move up and down via an Arduino circuit. They wanted to create the robot to be somewhat anthropomorphic, but not so close to humans as Descartes' lifelike doll Francine. The result was an almost vacuum cleaner looking body made out of a beer bucket with arms, legs, and a face made up of an LCD display that could show a red smiley face. It could communicate with the face and speaker and through its own social media presence on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It also had the ability to listen and record interactions in its proximity. It had onboard GPS, a microphone, speakers, a camera, and a processor, all provided by a tablet. It used CleverScript software to write dialogue that the bot would be able to use to interact with humans. And that's all it needed to get started. The other thing that helped was a healthy push of media presence. Hitchbot will be depending on the kindness and the curiosity of strangers to get from Halifax, Nova Scotia, right across the country to Victoria, BC. One of the many commands of Hitchbot were that as the unit was placed into a car, it asked to be plugged into the cigarette lighter. This was how the project remained sustainable as it traveled across the country. But it's still the kindness of strangers that Hitchbot relied upon to get picked up on the side of the road. Here's Dr. Zeller talking about Hitchbot's appearance. And it blinks, right? Hitchbot blinks? It'll wink us. Yeah. And what was the idea behind the winking and the blinking and the smile? Make it more sociable. Well, we need, well, what people look for is some kind of human traces, so facial recognition, very often, so eyes and mouth is very important for us to really um, establish some kind of trust. It shouldn't be really super tall, but more the size of a child, so then people use tend to feel protective and feel like, oh, there's something little, I might want to help it. The robot was made to listen to and respond to basic conversation answer questions, and provide interesting conversational facts. Hitchbot was picked up by its first driver on July 27, 2014. It was picked up by Canadians from all walks of life, including First Nations people who called it Iron Woman. The Hitchbot made a name for itself through media reports both in Canada and the U.S., and at times, 
the scientists had to remotely disable the GPS on board the robot to prevent crowds from visiting the thing during temporary stops in people's homes. It made the successful journey from Halifax to Victoria in just 25 days, arriving in Victoria, British Columbia on August 21st. It was an absolute success. The second Hitchbot project was attempted in Germany the next year. It successfully hitchhiked throughout the country of Germany for 10 days, then for three weeks in the Netherlands. But would the project work in the US? Here's Dr. Smith talking to an American journalist about what people thought would happen. And again, here he's talking about what Americans say would happen, not his actual feelings. Americans are saying, oh yeah, they're doing that up in, in Canada. Canadians are crazy. It'll probably work in Canada. It would never work here because here in the States, we would put it into the ditch or shoot it. More prophetic words were never spoken. After the break, we'll talk about what America did to Hitchbot. When I work with advertisers, I love it when I find a company that shares my values and the values of my listeners. Alder New York is exactly that. They respect diversity and know that when it comes to skincare, being inclusive is the name of the game. No matter your age, gender, or ethnicity, they've got products that you can implement into your skincare routine immediately. And you can trust me because that's how it worked for me. Clean, luxury skincare does not have to break the bank. Alder New York makes skincare products with dermatologist-approved ingredients and plant-powered actives starting at just $7.99. They've been loved by editors at Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, GQ, Men's Health, and more. Experience the products that Allure calls simple, sleek, and highly effective. And use code INTERNET, I-N-T-E-R-N-E-T, for 15% off your first order at AlderNewYork.com. That's A-L-D-E-R NewYork.com. Or just use the link in the show notes. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. Hi, this is Sue Foley, inviting you to listen to Music Journeys. Hear local and national artists share how the love of music began and what inspired their latest project. Mike Foley blends it all together with some music. Now, you can't believe him if he says he's related to me and inherited my musical talent, but you can be sure that other Foley will deliver a worthwhile listening experience, too. Listen to Music Journeys Saturday mornings at 1130 on WCBE and in the podcast experience at WCBE.org. Hitchbot had successfully crossed the entire country of Canada from east to west. It had crossed Germany and the Netherlands. It was time to try it in America. On July 17, 2015, it started in Boston, Massachusetts, with the goal of hitchhiking all the way to San Francisco, California, just over 3,000 miles away. The robot would vocalize to people a bucket list of 16 things it wanted to see while it was traveling. For instance, it wanted to participate in a wave at a sporting event, so someone took it to a Red Sox game. It wanted to visit Times Square, and it accomplished that too. These things were accomplished through nothing but the kind-hearted people who wanted to take part in this social experiment, complete strangers, who almost treated this machine as if it were a real-life friend. It was exactly the type of thing that Dr. Zeller wanted to study. But getting the crap kicked out of it on the streets of Philadelphia wasn't on that list. On Saturday, the robot was found in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, resting in pieces. Late today, video surfaced of the attack. That's right, less than two weeks after leaving Boston, on August 1st, Hitchbot was torn apart and stripped for parts in Philly. Its head was removed, arms torn off and smashed. Dr. Zeller said, We can see on all our data that the tablet and battery and everything shut off at the same time, so it must have been when they vandalized the bot. She said that some good Samaritans had sent us images and it's really beyond repair. There's not a single wire inside and all the things are broken. 
Hitchbot's head was never found. A lot could be inferred from the fact that this robot made its way thousands of miles through three other countries, but immediately was torn apart and killed in Philadelphia. But doctors Smith and Zeller don't blame the city. I'm sure it could have happened anywhere. Yeah. We don't really think it has anything to do with Philadelphia. Part of the social experiment was to explore and display the relationship between humans and robots. And part of the truth about humans is that they're sometimes violent. If they're violent to each other, why wouldn't they be violent to an anthropomorphized robotic hitchhiker? If you'd like to see Hitchbot now, or what are rebuilt remains of Hitchbot, it's displayed in the Canada Science and Technology Museum in Ottawa. French artist Linda Blanchette wrote a slightly fictionalized account of the life and death of Hitchbot in her stage piece called Killing Robots, and a new Hitchbot was created, Hitchbot 2.0, to tour France and promote that play in 2019. But the plan was scrapped when the world was gripped by a global pandemic. So what can stop the creeping of artificial intelligence and human-like robots into our lives? What can keep robots from taking over and becoming almost sentient? Well, in that instance, a plague, but also Philadelphia. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend. Today, we're calling my friend comedian Glenn Tickle. How have you been, Glenn? Hi, friend. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am doing everything very last minute because I've been on the road all week. And so I put a thing on Facebook. I said, uh, who wants to come and play the quiz on my on my podcast? And I was not expecting like a professional comedian who has been great on my podcast multiple times to to respond. But you said, hey, I'm not doing anything today. So it worked I, out I think perfectly. I caught it pretty quick. Too. You, you must I have. Was, I thought about taking it down. Mere but, minutes. But I think other people saying, hey, I want to be on it might be nice just to, uh, you know, just to be like, no, you're not good. Drum enough. up some interest and then <laughs> dash some dreams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's everyone's dream to be on a, um, on a podcast. I hear it everywhere I go. How do I get on? <laughs> the Internet says it's true. I'm like, I can't. I can't help you. I'm not, I'm not in charge of their booking. People are just clamoring to get on podcasts these days. Uh, so, anywho, uh, have you been working a lot? I've been on the road more yeah. the past couple months uh, than I think even before the pandemic. Um, yeah, it seems like uh, which is this, this a nice fall, problem to have. I agree, and I, I think I'm experiencing similar. Uh, this fall feels a little bit... Similar to, to 2019, maybe a little better than 2019, which has been yeah, it was it was nice. ramping up there for me in 2019, and then every yeah. I got every show I had booked for all of time got canceled yeah. in the same week, and it was a little <laughs> quiet for a bit there, and and now I'm I'm getting back out. It helps like the my dry bar special is out, not to like that helps plug too early, but I think that's why now like there's a a thing that people have seen me do. Yeah. So before is just kind of whoever had seen me previously and believed me when I told them I was good at comedy. But now people are turning up and like, I'll go to cities I've never been to before. And then people are like, oh, we were here because we saw you on, on Dry Bar. I'm like, that's I'm not used to that's people fantastic. being familiar with my work. That's it's really cool. It's cool to hear. It's nice. Now, have you noticed, like, let's say an audience that you, you know, played a lot of before the pandemic, like, let's say like a college audience. Have you sure. noticed change in behavior pre-pandemic and post-pandemic in the in the way that they are reacting and acting as a group? Yeah, people don't it's I don't think I'm getting heckled more, but people are definitely talking more. Yes. During shows, not necessarily to or at me. Uh but one lady, I I put a video up about it where she was just reacting pretty vocally to things people were saying. <laughs> Again, not heckling, just like some like in the the clip I put up about it, and I watched her do this to four or five other people. I said something pretty innocuous, and she just goes, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and I'm like, "Hang on, I got to stop the joke and figure out why you reacted that way." Yeah, so I don't remember what it, it wasn't even like a punchline; it was just like a setup, and she couldn't believe it. And I was like, "It's <laughs> it's a pretty basic." It was. I, I don't remember what it was. I might have been like, I'm from New Jersey, and she's like, Oh my god! Like, <laughs> I've been noticing the that same. Simple, yeah. where it's like, What are you doing? They're I did not... a show for teenagers in Minnesota, and 
two of them up front did not stop talking the entire time I was on stage. Sometimes to me or to each other, they called one of their friends during the show on the phone from the front row. Yeah. To like FaceTime it. And they were like, because their friend wanted to come but couldn't. So they put her on FaceTime. And I'm like, that's fine. Like, I don't mind, but can you stop talking to them actively (laughs) while the show's going on? Yeah. If you're videoing your friend in, I I genuinely don't care about that. Yeah. And I actually saw a lot of that last year. People would FaceTime their friends um, if their friends were like, especially in colleges, you know, their friends would be still, they would be one dorm designated as the quarantine dorm and their friends weren't allowed out yet. And so you'd have people with their laptops open FaceTiming, you know, and, but I have noticed the same. I'm noticing that I, I think that behaviorally people are treating live performance the same way that they're treating shows watching tv at home or something uh, yeah you know, in terms years of- ago uh i remember seeing a clip from a, a tracy morgan show where he was like yelling at a lady and he's like i'm not on tv right now i can hear you yeah. and he's just like really like leaning into her yeah and it's just like yeah like i think people are so used to watching stuff on a screen or they can mute themselves during a video call where they do kind of forget that if you're eight feet away from the person on stage and you start talking to the person next to you, we can hear you. Totally. And we don't want to. Yeah. And it's a little different with me. My show is, is very you're more interactive. Yeah. And so I don't I mind that they're talking if they're talking to me, but when they're talking to each other, they don't, they're not doing it to be rude. I genuinely just think that their behavior in general has shifted a little bit yeah and they've become used to a new dynamic um and and i'm i like to think i can get a vibe on why people are interrupting a show like where it's not always malicious and it's something when it is it's pretty clear yeah so i don't like to like i don't want to be mean to somebody who just like maybe doesn't know any better i don't know if that's the right term well if they're doing it because they're having a good time yeah you can't you know you can't be mean to them they're they're enjoying the show and and i i would say very little of it is done maliciously um if you know if any i think that people get drunk at clubs and maybe then there's some you know they're not getting as much attention as they think they should be getting or you know they want to be i have way less patience for somebody who's talking if they're drunk whether it's malicious or not right because it's like you're doing this because you can't handle your liquor just shut up Sure. Uh, for the rest of the show. I, but I also don't like being mean to people because I feel like I want everyone in the room to have a nice time. So if I just end up yelling at somebody, it's, you know, it kind of brings the room down. Yeah. Yeah. But it, if they're being really disruptive, then it's easy to get the rest of the audience on your side. Sure. Because they're ruining it for everybody. But if it's like, if, if the rest of the audience can't hear the person up front kind of quietly talking, then if you grind the show to a halt, to be mean to them they don't understand what's happening necessarily right so i don't know i agree uh so this this quiz this week is about uh the human condition and humanity and how humans behave for this first question we're going to play for a joke so if you get it wrong you have to tell me a joke and if you get it right i'll tell you one here's your question perfect a hitchhiking robot named hitchbot was designed to hitchhike its way across the country how did this project end a someone i I don't even need the multiple choice they they tore it apart in philadelphia (laughs) so a was someone dismembered it and stomped it to death in philadelphia b someone in missouri put it to work washing dishes in their restaurant or c the robot is thought to have become sentient and is now retired living in florida and you already said it the answer is a it was i covered the journey of hitchbot uh when I was writing for Geekosystem, and I th- I think I covered its untimely end. This is awesome. Well. I didn't know that. This that makes this so much so much more fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was it was tweeting along the way, and which I think I have is a show in Philadelphia coming up where I'm sure I will meet the same fate. <laughs> I hope not. I hope I and I hope that you drive yourself rather than fly rather than <laughs> hitchhike. There. I'm gonna hitchhike down. I'm gonna dress as a robot. You know, it was interesting. With, uh, whatever the Eagles' rival is, I'm going to dress as a robot wearing a that team jersey and just get beat to death. <laughs> it doesn't take much for Eagles fans to beat the crap out of just anyone who's not an Eagles fan. I feel no. That's a generalization about about yeah. I live fans pretty close but... to Philadelphia, and I know like people from Philly who are like, it's not always like that. I'm like, it's it's been like that enough times 
that you guys you get we it doesn't take many times of throwing batteries at santa claus before you get a reputation you know (laughs) kind of just the one pretty much locks it in for you yeah (laughs) i uh i remember my my the first time i heard the infamous bill Barr uh comedy set where bill he Burr. was bill sorry Very bill different. bar bill bar is a completely different guy bill bar yeah. <laughs> william bar i usually was doing comedy slide, in philadelphia thank you for thank you for <laughs> correcting me on that very different person although i i would pay to see the same thing happen to either uh bill yeah. burr sorry comedian bill burr um and a group of other comedians very famously tried to perform for a uh, a tailgate event outside of a outside of an eagles game and just didn't go well for any of the comedians. And when Burr got up there, he let him have it for like 10 minutes straight. The, the, the audio recording is on the Internet. You can find it. It is not safe for work. Uh, it no. is fantastic. Um, and just to hear someone completely destroy a crowd so much so that they catch on to the game of what he's doing. And that he's not going yeah. to stop and start cheering for him because of his brazenness and because of his there persistence. Is, uh, it is less location specific, but Doogie Horner, when he was on America's Got Talent, yeah, I know did Doogie. a similar thing. Yeah. He got, he got booed like immediately. So he just, he's like, well, this isn't going well already. I might as well tear into the audience. Uh, and he won them over by uh, doing that i need to go back uh, and watch so he, that. i think he made it through the next couple rounds because of that i did a few shows with doogie a few years back uh jonathan burns arranged uh the the one night only comedy tour where we just did random cities around philadelphia or <laughs> yeah. around around pennsylvania and stuff and and he joined us for a couple dates super funny guy i'm gonna go back and he's great and watch that so i owe you a joke here's my joke and uh this one has foul language so you know headphones Uh-oh. if the kids are in the car or whatever i'll you know what i'll bleep it and post here we go so one time I'm driving down a country road with a friend. A hitchhiker signals to stop, asks us where we were headed, and we agreed to give him a ride. Uh, now, this guy has a huge bag, and I'm talking about the same size as a person kind of bag, and we had trouble fitting it in the back. But at this point, we really didn't think anything of it. So we're driving down, we're talking to the guy and stuff, and he seems like a cool dude. We small talk, you know, tell jokes, whatnot. And sometime during the conversation, I ask him, what's in the bag, out of curiosity? And his answer completely changed the mood in the car. He goes, it's none of your business, you son of a bitch. So it was like, okay, scary. Stranger we're giving a ride to is very protective about his baggage. And I said, no, seriously, what's in the bag, man? He said, it's none of your, none of your business, you son of a bitch. Tells, tells it again, you know. At this point, we're afraid the bag has a body in it or something, right? So I tell the hitchhiker that he either tells us what's in the bag or we drop him off, rides over. And he says, we can drop him off, that's fine. So I stop the car, tell him to get out. We're all nervous. He gets out quickly. And then, you know, my friend and I were glad nothing happened. We continue driving. But after a few minutes, we look back, we realize, holy shit, the guy forgot his bag in the back. Now, you're probably wondering, did we look what was in the bag? Of course we did. What was in that bag? Well, that's none of your business, you son of a bitch. <laughs> that's your joke. Well there you go. All right. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, question two. For this question, we're going to play for about a story. About a time when technology defeated us. So I don't know if you have one that pops into your mind, but you got a couple minutes to think about it, I guess, here. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, Robert Prins, P-R-I-N-S, holds the record for longest distance hitchhiked in 24 hours. How far did he hike in one day? Was it A, 500 miles, B, 3,000 miles, or C, 1,440 miles? Um, so he's hitchhiking in cars. He's hitchhiking in cars, yeah, and this is a 24-hour period. I feel like you couldn't hit 3,000 in a day. The middle, the last one, the 1,000-something? 1,440 was C. That one. Okay, the answer is C. You're two for two. for two. Robert Prinz hitchhiked through the Netherlands, Yugoslavia, Austria, and Germany, totaling 1,440 miles in just over 20 hours. It only took four different rides. And uh, for reference, 1,440 miles is the length of the entire Colorado River. It's also about half the distance from New York to L.A. Yeah, it is about the distance from uh, where I live in Jersey to Omaha, Nebraska. Is that right? A a ride I've done a weird number of times this year. That's why I'm like, 
I could, I, you could do it in a day if you really like buckled down. Oh, sure. Know? Yeah, it's a long day, but you could do it. Uh, yeah. Omaha's a nice city. I like Omaha. I'm a big fan. Yeah. 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 yeah good food. And, and just, I don't know why, just, it's like a, a, it's one of those Midwestern cities where there's nothing around it, but it's just a really nice, clean, modern feeling city for being in the middle of Nebraska. Um, I was there last year for a festival that's going on again, I think this weekend, but I couldn't do it this year. The, uh, there, Maybe next year. I did find two other claims that were slightly longer than this guy, uh, Prince, but they're not, liars. Reco- yeah, they're, they're not recognized by Guinness. There's only one that's recognized by Guinness Book of World Records. So let's see. So um, I need, I owe you a story about a time when technology defeated me. And this is, uh, oh, this is an embarrassing one. It was my very first college show ever. It was at uh, Ohio State University Mansfield. Man's, no, not Mansfield. Uh, Ohio State University. Doo, 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 doo. It was a branch campus somewhere else, closer to Dayton. Maybe is it Hamilton, Ohio, or something like that? Mid, mid. I was just something? in Hamilton. Middleton, Middleton camp. I don't know. There's like a there's like a a small branch campus. Uh, first, I don't know what to do for a college show. It was my first one. I was probably, I don't know, 20 some years old, 23 years old, something like that. Uh, and I had this routine that I had figured out that was it used robotics. OK, and there was laundry that would come to life and the big finale. So like there would be a sock and the sock would be dancing behind this cloth on stage and then it would disappear right. from the cloth and it would appear in the laundry basket and then it would disappear from the laundry basket and it would dance behind the cloth. Now, the laundry basket part was all robotics. And I had a friend who from college who did robotics stuff who helped me build this thing. And it was all programmed to the song, right? Like, but it was based on, it wasn't smart enough to know like the song or the time in the song. I just had to hit the button at the right time. It was all length of time based and something happened. I hit, I thought I hit the button at the right time, but it did, it was completely screwed up. And so like, instead of the sock disappearing here and appearing there, the sock would be here and there, there would be two socks. And then like stuff started going haywire. Like the laundry just started dancing in the when it didn't make any sense. And then that was like the big finale. And so I had nowhere to go with the routine. Um, and I just turned it all off. And there were like four socks just sticking up out of the basket at weird angles. Like they had just like, you, you know, the security guard had just shown the flashlight at them. Like they were having a party, you know, in the warehouse. Uh, so that was, yeah, it, you know, I had, I've, the, the, I'm looking at the laundry basket right now. It's in my basement. I've never touched it again. It's sitting there. Mine was, mine would have also been stage robotics based. Is that right? Yeah, I did a show recently uh, where I tried to, I've not done it in a long time, but I do a bit with my daughter's toy robot uh, that I put a little speaker in so he could tell jokes. Uh, And I was doing a show for a robotics company. I'm like, oh, I haven't done this bit in a really long time, but like they do robotics. So like what better time than to bring this out again? And I was really like talking to the guy before, kind of like hyping up. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this thing. I don't, I haven't done it in a really long time. It's really fun. I think the audience is really going to like it. And he didn't work. Like the oh. second I, I tried to get him to tell a joke, <laughs> oh. the, the app crashed. I couldn't get any sound out of him. So I was it's like, funny. all right, I guess this is just going to be a weird lull in the middle yeah. of the set as That's I try funny. to then transition into not robot jokes. That's, uh, that reminds me. If can't the, trust them. The regular uh, listeners of this show will, will remember two weeks ago, we had Peter Bois on the show and he had built a joke telling robot for his son. And was playing it. And it's all just his voice doing pre-recorded reading jokes. And then he's got one for reactions, too, which is a lot of fun. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, the the, uh, humans interfacing with robots can't go anywhere good. And we know this. And that's what these scientists that made Hitchbot were sort of trying to figure out. It's great because he made it all the way across Canada. No problem. The second they drop him off in Philadelphia, he gets murdered. Yeah, it wasn't even two weeks in. Uh, it, it had, it had la- lasted, I, I can't remember how many days, but it went through all the way across Canada. And then it went all the way through the Netherlands and then all the way through Germany on different tours, the same robot. And then, yeah, tried it in America. No go. So for this next question, we're going to play for a Tell Me What to Google sticker. They're left over from what the podcast used to be called. Here is your question. The Hong Kong-based company Hanson Robotics created Sophia, a lifelike humanoid form robot. Which one of these achievements was Sophia the first robot to accomplish? A, the first robot to be granted citizenship. B, the first robot to throw out a first pitch at a baseball game. Or C, 
the first robot to cook an omelet? Uh, I believe Sophia was A, but I don't know if it was full citizenship or legal personhood. The answer is A. She was granted citizenship to Saudi Arabia, despite being a a Hong Kong-based robot. Um, And then it left a lot of people to say, wait a minute. Real women don't have full citizenship in Saudi Arabia. They can't yeah. drive or, or or go to school or whatever. Um, and so, so I then, remember the story. Yeah, there was the story. there was something where they said, okay, well, we're going to use this to bring awareness of human rights in Saudi Arabia, and unclear how that how that is going to happen or has happened. But yeah, I mean that this was a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I don't know uh, what the current status in Saudi Arabia is for. Yeah, it's women. I I don't know know either. I don't know what kind of impact Sophia has had. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Um, but the point is, you win a tell me what to Google sticker, which is one of many that I'm sure you have won over the days of of being on. I think I won one last time. Yeah, so you're doing well. You're three for three, and for this next question, we're playing for seventy three million internet points. Uh, I don't think I've swept it any other time I've been on. On top of seventy three million internet points, there's something else that's riding on this. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to guarantee you a ride on the Artemis space rocket to the moon that happens in like 2024, whenever they actually put people on it. Um, there yeah. are conditions on that one. A, that's dependent upon my ability to do that, and um, B, it's dependent on your ability to become an astronaut between now and then. Right. So. It's looking great on both but, fronts. But if you get the question like. right, you're on Did your way. Did they do the test launch yet? I know it got no, scrubbed. No, it was supposed to happen day. again Saturday. This, it was scrubbed Monday, and then it was scrubbed again Saturday for the same problem in a different area, which is fuel leaking. So, yeah. You need that fuel in there. Apparently, that hydrogen fuel or whatever they're using, um, the liquid hydrogen, or I'm not sure exactly what it is. Apparently, um, that's just a, a common problem with that type of, of propellant. So who knows? I mean, yeah, they had used it in the space shuttle as well. Um, The same that that center tank was the same thing. I recently read this. This is interesting. Um, That Artemis rocket was supposed to have a paint scheme on it, similar to the old Saturn V, the Saturn V rocket, right? The white, the black with the black chunks of of, you know, squares of paint. Uh, And then they figured out that that paint difference, though, the weight difference from that paint is huge. You know, it's like. It's like, uh, I don't know, 800 pounds of paint or something like that. And so yeah, it's a big rocket. they kept it the same as it was on the space shuttle, which is just the color of the insulation, the, that rusty brown color. Oh. Smart. Yeah. yeah. It's expensive he, he, to put heavy things into space. It is. It is. I remember talking to um, a, a, a sailor, a Navy sailor, about a cargo. It was one of these new generation cargo ships where it's a catamaran. I don't know if, the, if that's the right. It's a It's a dual hall or something like that where it's where it's empty in the middle you know so it rides up off of the water and it was just sheet metal colored there was no paint and i asked him why do they do that and he said the same thing it was the weight and the cost of the paint is so huge and they don't think that it makes a difference this thing was made for speed and so fuel efficiency increases a ton if you don't paint it you think about how much one can of paint weighs carrying it and then multiply that times hundreds of cans of paint. So, all right, here's your question. In 2020, this is after Sophia, a scientist in Mumbai developed robot, I said that wrong, robot Shalu, a humanoid robot that could recognize a person and remember them, solve math problems, give horoscopes and weather reports, teach in a classroom and conduct a quiz. Which one of these interesting facts is also true about robot Shalu? A, the robot looks exactly like Alec Baldwin. B, the robot's body was made of waste materials. Or C, the robot has the voice of Robert Redford. This one I don't think I know. Uh, I kind, I vaguely remember there being a robot that looked like somebody, but it might have been, I was going to say the Baldwin one, and then you said the third one. Like it might have just been the voice sounded like Redford. I'm going to say it looks like Alec Baldwin. The answer is B, the robot's body was made of waste materials. It was the boring one on that that time. So uh, three for four, or excuse me, yeah, three for four so far. 
no 3D printed components were used in the making of Robot Shalu. The robot was made at home using waste materials, aluminum, plastic, cardboard, wood, and newspapers. And when you look at a picture of this thing, you can tell. It's frightening looking. It, it looks, looks like a piece of garbage. Take looks, that, Shalu. It looks Jeez. like, you know, like a, a 1910 automaton. You know, like one of these. There was a movie. Things. I think it was like a like a Disney TV movie from when uh, I was a kid that I would watch a lot where two kids build a robot that gets inhabited by their dead father, Alan Thicke. Uh, <laughs> so like the robot like comes to life, Johnny Five style, but it's the voice of their dead father. And uh, I'm looking I, this I used up to watch now. it all the time. Uh, there's yeah, a 1987. Here it is. Not quite human. No, different that's one. not it. I also watch Not Quite Human all the time. That's the one where Alan Thicke builds his own robot son. Oh, uh, oh, okay. And so. it's the guy who plays Johnny Storm in the like the the '80s failed Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie. He wow. is his son Chip, but this was a this was a different. I we should just go to Alan Thicke's IMDb. Okay, I'm on Alan Thicke's IMDb now. Here we go. 1991's, and you thought your parents were weird. That's what it's called. That is what it is called. Wow. Two inventor brothers create a working robot that is also inhabited by the spirit of their dead father. In case you thought I made that part up. (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh, What's the robot does look like uh, it's called. And you thought your parents were weird. The poster of it is the robot in bed with the mother and the, the sons are like peeking out from underneath it. Uh, I see it. I see it. You can buy or rent it on YouTube. Let's see if I can um, I think I will be, find the trailer I'll be here watching for this it. after the... Here's the trailer. <laughs> okay, Max, hit enter. You got it, Josh. It just needs a better operating system, Josh. That's all. It needs a better everything. For Josh and Max Carson, every day got them closer to a dream. His name is Newman because he's going to be a new man. There it is. One night. So far, your description is incredibly accurate. He's okay. He's more. This was like a daily watch for me for a while as a kid. Here you go, Ben. Feel free to tighten my screws anytime. I didn't do that. Honestly. Stop. Uh, The way that he just said, here you go, Ben, feel feel free to tighten my screws anytime, was mildly sexual for a made-for-TV Was that not suggestive? And and considering the robot is his dad. But that's what I meant about the poster. Like, it's the robot's in bed with the mother and the kids are like under the bed. (laughs) None of that should be going on. No. Interesting. Well, the robot does look 100 percent like they made it out of garbage. (laughs) It does. Uh, This one, though, like has a like it looks like it's more like robot. Shalou is more like paper mache looking, you know, like they just took a bunch of stuff and made a pulp and then formed that wet pulp into a humanoid face. It's it's bad. Uh, Unsettling. So that's, you know, there's a list on somewhere on Wikipedia that I found of all these intelligent humanoid type robots. And that is the most recent. And that was 2020. So we've had a few years. Maybe there's something better coming. Who knows? Uh, Okay. So you're three for four. Here's your last question. And this one is for all the marbles. If you get it wrong, I'm banning you from this podcast, never to be asked on again, no matter what I post on Facebook. If you respond, hey, I'm not doing anything today, I'll say, too bad, suck it. Too bad. You've lost you your right on. to be on this show. If you, Glenn Tickle, could get rid of one piece of technology, what would it be? Like, I'm trying, like, there's a bunch of stuff I don't use that I, I feel like I wouldn't miss, but I want it. Like, if I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, you can't be one, like my mini disc player. <laughs> like, it's yeah, like, be I, want, I want it to be. A current technology, I should have said. So I want it to be something. Uh, Lightning cables, Apple lightning cables. Oh, really? Lightning cables? Yeah. Because the, of them gone. being proprietary? Yeah. Just use USB-C. Okay. It makes it easier for everybody. I'll go, I'll extend it to any USB, like, if it's USB of any kind on one end, I just want everybody switch over to USB-C, or just the same one. I don't like, it can be a new thing. I okay. don't care. We should all be using the same ones for everything. Well, that is a correct answer. So I am happy to have you on the podcast again anytime. But my answer would have been slightly different because, shockingly, I feel like my answer may have been USB-C. I think USB-C cables are horrible. Um, 
Now, I will make what a caveat like for that. I'll make a caveat. My So I think USB-C is fine for power. If you're powering a device or charging a device, USB-C is fine. Uh, I have a MacBook Pro from 2019 when all they did was put four USB-C ports on it, and that's it. Yeah. So I have to have dongles with other things if I want to put an SD card in it or regular USB, anything like that, and you, and including external monitors. And USB-C is incredibly unstable. If it gets the tiniest bit bumped, it will disconnect the monitor for like 30 seconds and then connect it again. Um, and it's just, I don't, I think it, what it is, is it's a small, and this is probably happens with anything. It's a small c- connector with a ton of data, like a ton of pins in there. And so yeah. they have to maintain, you know, contact. I've never had that problem with a regular USB. The only problem with a regular USB other than size is, you know, knowing which way to plug it in. That's right. It's getting it wrong somehow twice. And before you finally <laughs> get that, it in the right way, how does that happen? It's worse yeah. in a car because in my car, it's like dark and I'm digging for like the, the USB connector inside my console and it's then yeah. I get it wrong like constantly. So. Well, uh, I'm yeah, ha- I guess I'm not brand loyal to USB-C. I just like the idea of everything being the same because like I have Apple stuff. Like I, I also have a MacBook with just USB-C ports. Yeah. Uh, but I can't plug my other USB stuff into it. Sure. Cause it should all just be the same. It should all, it should all just be the same. Yeah. Convergence of all of that technology would be a wonderful thing. Um, obviously there's a reason that, you know, these companies make their own proprietary cables. They hate me specifically. (laughs) I know that different companies, Sony has been accused of making, you know, using proprietary cables. I think Canon has done some proprietary stuff in the past and it's just, uh, you know, come on guys, help out the consumer a little bit. Let's, let's Nothing worse standardize. Than, like I have uh, like one external hard drive that has a weird connector. So it came with the wire for it, but I also have. I know exactly what you're talking about. USB it's like that flat type. one yeah, with like, the groove in the middle. Yeah, because it's got it's the it's the USB. Mm-hmm. And then like the extra one on the side because they needed it for power or whatever dumb reason. Yeah. And like I, I you can't just run to the store to pick one of those up. Sure. Yeah. If you get, you know, I had someone recently, I was at a, I was at a college performing and there was a DJ who had lost their MagSafe charger and MagSafe. There have even been a a few different MagSafe versions. Yeah. And that's not something that you can just run to the store and buy either. And if you, if you show up in the city and you, even if you have time, I mean, that's something you pretty much have to buy on the internet. They found someone with the exact same MagSafe uh, adapter at the school so that the DJ was able to perform. I feel like at a college is probably a good bet yeah, that probably. someone will have one, but only like if there's enough people at the show. Like sure. Statistically, you can walk on to, I would assume, any residential college campus and find any MacBook charger from, let's say, the past 15 years. That's probably a safe bet. That's probably, which, which would be MagSafe and USB-C and probably old MagSafe and new MagSafe. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Well, tell people where they can uh, where they can learn about Glenn Tickle and maybe come see you perform somewhere. Uh, sure. They can just go to glentickle.com. I just redid it yesterday because a plugin broke the entire site and I couldn't figure out Ugh. what how to fix it. So I just redid a whole new site. Oh, go so check out the site. It's on there. Uh, I, uh, you can watch my whole dry bar special right on the site. There's social media links. There's a link you can play me on chess.com. If you want to beat me in chess, because I'm not very good. But <laughs> I'm horrible at I chess. I'm going to take you up on that. It was an option uh, when I was doing the social media link sidebar thing. They had little chess icons. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just throw my chess.com up there. That's great. So if anybody wants to beat that. me. <laughs> Go to glentickle.com. That's G-L-E-N-T-I-C-K-L-E. Just the one N. Also, I live in New Jersey. I know it didn't come up. But uh, people think I live in Pennsylvania, so I, any chance I get now to tell a large group of people that I live in New Jersey, <laughs> I'm doing. I'm taking the opportunity. You can find him at NewJerseyGlenTickle.com. <laughs> you can find me in New just, Jersey. Just where New I am Jersey Glen. He's rebranded himself. New Jersey Glen, the yeah. comedian. I think I did. I switched my Twitter name to New Jersey's Glen Tickle. There you go. After like the fifth time in a week that people are like, "Hey, you still living in Pennsylvania? Never have, never will." <laughs> 
Well, that's good. You can't be confused with these these heathens destroying robots. Yeah, that's not, like I don't. I've got nothing against most of Pennsylvania. I just don't live there, and it drives me crazy that people think that I do. <laughs> it's a common problem for people. It's I'm I'm a it's a real anti uh, or reverse rather Doctor Oz situation. Although <laughs> it's I am a reverse Doctor Oz. Oz as well. Yeah. As, a New Jersey resident trying to pass himself off as living in Pennsylvania. I'm the opposite. You are the opposite. I, I, but you... I live in New Jersey and want people to know that. I don't want people to think <laughs> that I live in Pennsylvania. Although I guess I could. Like it's, I'd, I'd have, not that I have a ton of weirdos showing up at my door, but I feel like that would really throw them off the scent. Oh, hey, also, if you're listening to this, go and listen to, go find Glenn's Dry Bar special. Um, super easy to find. Just search for for Glenn Tickle on Drybar, and you'll find that um, really yeah, really funny. It's right there comedy. on the, the front page of my website now too. Just Fantastic, the whole thing. Fantastic. Well, thanks for spending your day with me, man. I appreciate you spending sure. uh, you know at least thirty minutes of your day with me. And uh, have a wonderful week. I'll see you soon. You too. Take care. <laughs> Well, that's all for this week. Thank you so much to my friend Glenn Tickle for being my guest. Here's a life like British Robot. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Dallas Ray, Sean Brown, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official Ember Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. <laughs>